for high achieving women out there, whether you are an aspiring leader or someone who has already led your practice or organization to earn millions dollars in revenue inside the healthcare space. We will discuss how you can attract your patients and your team to be hundred percent loyal to you. We'll talk you through the eight-step process to set you apart from your peers and step up to the next level. Healthcare practice owners, if you're ready to rewrite the rules for your clinical practice so you can have more time off, a greeting. And more income while delivering better patient care, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Providers Edge podcast. I'm your host Sabrina Rombach. I am a provider and peak performance keynote speaker and an international best-selling author. My guests and I will show you how to level up in your personal and practice efficiency. This is your defining moment to be a disruptor in healthcare. Today we're talking about your worth. As the unemployment rate continues to actually decrease, there's a lot more jobs opening in healthcare. But a lot of people are actually not staying, as we are redefining who we are as a practitioner and searching for the next best position. Are you able to have that perfect script and to ask to get paid of your worth? And although the time right now is so stressful from both the pandemic side and just as the individual, we are in the moment of change, modifying, adaptation. A lot more people start traveling for their job, and people start transitioning to telemedicine. Are we going with the flow of the change, able to adapt? And that's why. I'm inviting Rebecca Ellen here on our show today, and to discuss with you how can we boost your confidence and stay authentic as you building your portfolio under pressure. Rebecca is a successful coach for women who have over ten years' experience helping high-achieving women to own their value, build visibility, and create ability. Really, to maintain their sanity as we are moving <laughs> forward. So, welcome, Rebecca. Thank you so much, Sabrina. I'm really, really glad to be here today. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you. It is a great moment as we are in the. For anybody who is listening to our show live, we're wrapping up the holidays, and if you happen to be listening to this podcast as we air this in the next spring, in any. Moment of the year, we can be changing, and it's crucial on how do we represent ourselves, especially in when you talk about authenticity. So, walk us through a little bit of your journey as a mom, as a career woman. How did you find yourself in this particular niche to say this is my passion of working with、uh, high achieving women, people in healthcare, but <laughs> to really define them. Absolutely, thank you, Sabrina. Yeah, I mean, my background originally was in advertising, so I was working in London. I had travelled a lot. I had lived overseas. I'd lived、um, in Hong Kong for fifteen years before that, and I moved to the UK when I went to university. 
And I went into advertising and I absolutely loved advertising. I loved the brand theory of advertising the most. I think that's what's kind of really fueled my interest in personal branding now and how, you know, the kind of leadership skills and coaching skills and sort of brand theory all kind of come together for me to kind of work in this niche of personal branding and really understanding how you want to come across, you know, what you stand for and raising your visibility in the workplace. And to do that authentically, I think for women can be even more challenging than for men, because I think so much of corporate structure and so much of, you know, the structure that you're kind of operating in is so male centric. And I find that a lot of women find it difficult to identify themselves in that environment authentically. Should I behave more like a man to get ahead? Should I be more abrupt? Should I be more aggressive? These are all stereotypes, of course. But, you know, so many of the books out there tell women to change who they are to get ahead in their careers. And I'm very much against that concept. I'm very much um, of the view that once you understand yourself more deeply and you really understand what your brand is about, right at its essence, like right at the value core of your brand, you can actually start delivering behaviors that are A, in alignment with your career strategy and where you want to move forwards in your career, but also that are in alignment with you. And I think that's super duper important. And I think when we're kind of operating in times of crisis, I mean, goodness, the last 18 months have been the most sort of seismic uh, sort of shift in, in uh, change for everybody, you know, globally. And, you know, leaders have found it difficult to maintain that sense of who they are in that space now more than ever, I think. And I think, you know, that, that sort of need for transparency has been really, really important. Um, I think in times of crisis, people can often, you know, sort of um, close up and not sort of want to be vulnerable, not to uh, want to admit that they don't have all the answers. That's something that I've been seeing. But um, in my view, like, you know, true leadership is about being transparent and about being a bit vulnerable sometimes and actually saying, hey, I don't have all the answers. If you are a leader in your healthcare organization, chances are you have influence over your team's performance than you realize. In fact, studies show that leaders have a direct impact on their bottom line. However, if you're not seeing consistent results from your team, what can you do? Transparency is a core leadership value, and it can have a positive impact on your team's performance. People are more likely to trust you and follow your leads when you know what to expect. As we've seen lately, Transparency is a key aspect of strong relationship. But what does that mean? Transparency means being open and honest about your clinical goals, vision, and mission. You have to make those super clear to everyone in your organization what the overall mission is and how your staff can contribute to them best if they already speak as they embody the same mission. This kind of transparency allows for honest feedback from all aspects and encourage your team to feel comfortable giving input into work process or problems that might have hindering their process. With transparent leadership, people have a better idea of what's going on at work than ever before. If you like today's episode, please share with your colleagues and friends who are also healthcare leaders. They will appreciate you thinking about their growth. Now, let's get back to the rest of our show. 
you know, I don't have everything at my fingertips today. All we have is our best case, you know, scenario of how we can, you know, move forward through this crisis. And, you know, you have to continue to lead. You have to continue to stay true to the brand that you have established, even when things get a bit rocky. So right, and when we talk about branding, it's really that image, the uh, the continuum of messaging means stay consistent. So people yeah. will get confused about what are we really trying to create, promote, and achieve. And you're so right. Leaders in itself need to be vulnerable. And when we say this word, some people somehow attach a negative side to it. Yeah. It's not to say you have to break down what you don't know as you. Don't know actually to share. I don't know something in a social situation. That's confidence in itself because we we know confidence actually have the self part, social part, and skills part. Too many of us would default into oh, I have all these experiences, skills, so I'm I should be confident in being a leader or being practitioner in being whatever that they are doing. But that's not just it, right? We still have to have the authentic part to say. Well, I still am unique in who I am as a person, and when I'm in the so- social situation, not only I can share that I'm also struggling. I'm also not happy mm-hmm. about the situation. I'm just like you, but I can be there as a leader to not be afraid to ask tough questions and have these critical conversation to solve mm-hmm. problem together. Yeah. Yeah, I think the thing that's very interesting about branding when it comes to leadership is that you know branding in a consumer kind of perspective. If you look at a consumer product and you look at an individual, it's exactly the same. You know, the brand itself doesn't actually exist anywhere. It's a perception, right? It's a perception in the minds of the key stakeholders around you. Like, what is this brand all about? What does it stand for? How does this brand do business? What does this brand, you know? And so it's really important that in our behaviors, whether, you know, we're in times of plenty or in times of crisis, that we are consistent, like you said, using that word, consistent and frequent in how we show up. Because I think the thing that's interesting about that is there's sort of two pieces, if you like, of any brand, whether that's a consumer brand or an individual. And one of those sides is the rational side. And the rational side is, you know, we assess and we say, can this person do the job? Does this person have the skills? Is this person competent? That's the rational side. The emotional side is, do I like this person? Does this person make me feel safe? Does this person make me feel good about myself? And we're constantly like looking at those two sides, the rational and the emotional, and weighing it up and saying, okay, do I want to hang out with this person? Do I want to do business with this person? Do I want to promote this person? And, you know, trust is kind of formed, I think, when we're able to deliver consistently against those two parameters, the rational and the emotional. And I think, you know, often I, I think what happens is in, in times of crisis, for example, leaders forget the emotional side sometimes and they go straight down this rational, yeah, I've got to deliver, I've got to get the results, I've got to show competency, I can't break, you know, and that's just not tenable and that's not realistic in, you know, for, for your well-being, for your mental well-being. Um, and we kind of want to fix problems quickly and just show that we're competent and that we can do it. But coming back to that vulnerability side and that authenticity side, you know, you're a human being, you're not a robot, and you still have that emotional, you know, um, vulnerable side to you that is still really important. And actually, people need that probably now more than ever. They need to feel that connection and that form of safety. 
and that, um, you know, that belonging that, you know, you can get from the emotional side, but you don't get from that rational side. So we kind of constantly have to be thinking about, am I delivering and am I connecting and am I engaging and am I including the people in my team around me? Great point. That hyperlogical side, as when we talk about in positive psychology, is one of the 10 sabotaging tendency. And when we become so logical thinking, because what? Anxiety, right? If I don't solve it, then I'm going to feel icky all the time. If I only just jump in right away, at least I'm doing something, right? And then Mm -hmm. just the lie that we tell ourselves, if you're doing something, that means result. But just because you're busy doing something, it doesn't really always prepare you for the result that you can create if you actually took a step back and involved the people in it. And yes, the downside is exactly what you're saying, Rebecca. The other people on the team feeling like you do not care about their emotional well-being. You Mm -hmm. just wanted to rush into something. But when we thinking about decision-making, actually most of our decision is on the emotional side, not so much the logical side. People needed to still being fell to being heard, right? And, And otherwise, how can we really create any relationship or bond with the right people? And we can't do everything alone. Yeah. And I see that kind of, you know, with with people who move into new leadership roles pretty regularly too, you know, they're kind of desperate to prove their point. They're desperate to kind of, you know, make a mark quickly. So they just go into problem solving mode straight away without sort of taking that broader top line view of, okay, what needs to happen within this business? You know, we don't need to kind of jump in and try and firefight and solve all the problems immediately. Let's just take a step back, you know, and I think high achievers can fall foul of that too where they just are kind of intent on getting a result. We need to create a result as quickly as we can. We need to sort of fix the the challenge. And so doing, they can kind of make unilateral decisions and exclude people and all those sorts of things. So, yeah, we do need to consistently check in on those two scores in terms of am I going to deliver, but am I also connecting? Am I also engaging? Am I listening? Am I asking other people for their input? Because we all know like collective decision-making often makes for a better decision and probably, you know, a better solution than the one you would have come up with by yourself. So um, yeah, it's, it's a challenge, but, you know, I think authenticity when it comes to branding, you know, comes down all the time to your value set and just being conscious of what your values are and delivering against those values. Cause I mean, you know, as well as I do that when we behave in kind of um you know, in where we compromise those values and our behavior doesn't actually align with our values, it can make us feel uncomfortable. You know, if we do value connection, if we do value collaboration and we're making those unilateral decisions, which is essentially the behavior, then we're compromising the value and you can kind of feel uncomfortable. You know, it's not the right move for you. You know, it's not the authentic thing to do. So check in and say, okay, why am I feeling uncomfortable? Why is that making me feel uncomfortable? What am I compromising that's important to me? And then you'll kind of uncover, oh, wow, there's a, something that's important to me. And it's that collaboration that was missing because I was just so hell-bent on trying to solve this fast and get a result fast so that we can move on to the next thing. You've just got to right. aware of the consequence of that. Yeah. And then I think this also tie into both when we're already in the established career and mm-hmm. when we start to think about how am I pivoting, uh, why do move on to the next one, how do I ask for what I'm worth in that 
position or I'm up for a review. How can I have that conversation? What do I ask for, right? And that even in itself, when you ask for more money, it is a marker on how you see yourself. It's not to be seen as greedy, but actually everything is exchange of energy, right? Money in itself is a revenue, is a cycle because it will give you the lifestyle, the good, the the enjoyment that you can have. So why not getting paid for what you're worth? So how do you go about helping people really think that way on asking for what they feel good? Yeah, it's such a great question, Sabrina. And for some reason, I don't know why money is kind of one of those icky conversations people don't like having. It's it's something people don't rehearse enough and therefore they're not comfortable with it. You know, they're not comfortable with it enough. And for some reason, I think that we forget, like you say, there's a value exchange, there's an energy exchange. And, you know, in the old days, they wouldn't have had money, right? They would have exchanged goods and it could have been a goat for a bag of, I don't know, iron or something. And that would have seen as an equal kind of value. But for some reason, when we, you know, work, we don't see that the value that we're adding equates to that salary or to that bonus. It almost feels like, you know, I'm doing them a favor and then paying me is actually like they're doing me a favor, which is just the most crazy way of looking at where you know you're adding value so there are lots and lots of strategies around salary negotiation and really deeply understanding your value because I find particularly with women we're very poor at being able to verbalize and quantify the impact that we're making Uh, we're very poor at putting a dollar value on that we're kind of almost uh, apologetic grateful for the opportunity rather than saying hey you need me as much as I need you and um, I think if you go into it with that kind of mindset, it shifts the way that you approach it. But the bottom line is, for me, is deeply, deeply understanding the value you're adding. I find, you know, it's a sweeping statement, but I find what a lot of men do is they kind of are over arrogant about what they're achieving. And they're very comfortable sort of talking in a very sort of broad way about what they're doing. It's very vague. Women are a lot more kind of keen to really analyze and list and explain themselves to sort of explain the value. But you don't really need to get into that position at all. And I think simple things that you can be doing is simply asking yourself, okay, where am I making an impact to this business? Like the business objectives, what are the business objectives? How am I actually making an an impact on those? They might be about being more competitive. They might be about dollar value, about revenue, for example. Um, It could be about retaining key people because I think that's a huge measure that a lot of people forget. You know, if you're a leader who has a great history of hiring really fantastic people and retaining those people, that's a huge value in itself. I think value comes in lots and lots of shapes and forms. And I think we just have to be more strategic and honest about the impact that we're making and the the day-to-day value that we're adding. Those those value measures, we we actually run a course and one of the um one of the sections we look at what I call 72 value bombs, which are 72 different ways in which you're already adding value to the organization. You just don't know it yet. You've just not had that kind of conscious awareness of what those value pieces are to be able to talk about them and quantify them. So yeah, we have to kind of know our market value. That's really important. And unfortunately, I think women have to do a bit of a, a balancing act looking at both male and female salaries because you don't want to just speak to female colleagues and female friends 
because then you might fall foul of the pay gap. You've got to kind of also talk to men who are being paid in a similar role to you and um, in the industry and get a sense of what that market value is. The truth is, I mean, you know, I don't believe that worth is measured only on income. I think it's a mistake to um, put all your kind of worth in one space because if you lose your job tomorrow, all your sense of worth is gone. So we have to be constantly looking at all the ways in which, you know, we feel worthy. And financial recognition is only one of those aspects. It should never be the only thing. And some people do fall into that trap, I think, and that's a mistake. We have to look at what else is there that I'm doing and where I'm adding an impact that gives me worth and makes me worthy. You might be surprised at how much money is involved in being an effective leader. You might be underpaid compared to your peers. That doesn't mean you should settle for less than what you deserve. Women are known to be paid less than men. Are we simply accepting whatever is offered to us? Or have we been fighting and to ask for what we felt good, that number that truly represents our worth? Healthcare leaders are always thinking about how they can elevate themselves and their company above others in terms of prestige, brand recognition, revenue generation, patient satisfaction, and team engagement. You've probably heard of the saying, if you don't know who you are, how are you going to know what you're worth? It's true. If you don't know your value, how can you expect your patients and your organization to pay you for your work? So well said. It, what else doesn't make you feel good? Uh, many people who I talk to, both either a client or a partnership acquaintances in medicine, when they see themselves slightly beyond, even just slightly beyond clinical medicine, they actually feel so much better about their clinical work because now they stepping out, they start seeing bigger pictures, they become more innovative, exploratory. Yeah. And that is a value in itself because any of that can be tools to say, I am now have additional resources, skills that can help me to pivot into something else I truly enjoy besides my day-to-day with my patients. And for some of us, me, for example, I still do like to operate. So I have certain days that I would like to do that. But then the rest of the time, I like to work with healthcare leaders, private practices to talk about mental fitness. And both gave me joy. And I set up in a way to have both. So we have to really think about what do you actually want? What do you find are both your skills that make you authentically happy and tap more into that and and not trap ourselves to say what's our basic, and especially women, is that if you already helping doing more teaching for residents or creating additional programs. And even in your private practice, you're the one who's bringing initiatives, right? Looking at whether it is a better way to get reimbursement or uh, a new treatment plan. You're doing a lot more fun stuff at the same time that's helping this organization to grow. Even you might be just a partner and not the owner. So that could still be a value proposition conversation. And mm-hmm. and to say you already been doing those, just like Rebecca said, you've probably done so much things you didn't even thought yes. that you it's have added. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
And, 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 and women can undervalue it. I think that's the problem, Sabrina, so often, you know, e- even if it's something quite profound, you know, they might say something like, you know, well, everybody else can do that. Everybody else has done that already as well. So it's nothing special. But we're, we're constantly kind of belittling what we're doing and what we're achieving. And if we're not kind of valuing what we're doing, nobody else is going to value it for us. It's just never going to happen. And, you know, I, I spend so many hours working with professional women in finance and law and banking and um, STEM industries. And it's the same thing. They say to me, Rebecca, I just don't feel recognized for what I'm doing. And then when you start exploring it, it's very apparent that that client is not recognizing the value herself. And that's the fundamental shift that needs to happen very early on in any coaching journey is to start recognizing where you're already making an impact because you already, I love the word already, I use it a lot. I'm like, where are you already making an impact? Where are you already making a difference? Where are you already adding dollar value to this organization? And the truth also is, you know, we forget that you're not just in this for, you know, to make your organization fatter and richer. You're in this also for you. And we always have to have that personal agenda around what we're doing and why we're doing it and what we want next from our career and be very mindful of those things. So it should never be about, you know, chasing organizational KPIs and that being everything and, and you know, in its entirety. We also have that have to have that personal agenda where we say, okay, what do I need? What's important to me now? What skills am I developing? So that we're consistently like building ourselves and consistently growing and consistently looking for the next stretching opportunity to meet our own values and objectives. Correct. And I was just having an, uh, a conversation with a friend who has been in the local industry for a very long time and teaching people on how to get into it and ask for the right money for your price, right? And that goes on to both the physicians, the, the PAs, MPs, or even nurses. Now, um, we choose, right? People choose to fly out miles out of uh, the way from your home and to cover another hospital or services for short duration of time and leave. Yes, they might get paid higher than where you were at home. And but in that, just because you gain a little bit higher doesn't mean you can just lowball yourself and thinking about and having even these companies who pitch you to help them to say, oh, no, no, you're asking too much. And mm-hmm. if we allow other people to lowball us, not seeing our true value, guess what? It's not only for yourself that taking mm-hmm. advantage of. You actually set a standard to say, oh, if I would take this and that they can use the same excuse for other people in the same field. So it's actually for a whole career-wise, we should not be doing that, even thinking about bigger scope of things. Yeah. I mean, normally what I say to clients is I say, you need to have this sliding scale. You need to work out where your sliding scale is of where you feel like, you know, you're adding value and it's worth paying you that amount of money and then add some and then add some more because we kind of just have this tendency of just, you know, literally lowballing ourselves. And the truth is, it's like an organization is there to make profit, but it also wants to retain people, right? So it has the money to pay you appropriately. I I use the word appropriately for what you're doing, but you have to ask for it. It's never going to be handed to you because they want to continue to build profit, right? So they don't want to just kind of hand it out unless there's a reason to be handing that out. So if you don't ask for it, somebody else will ask for it and it will go to somebody else's bank account. You know, that's just the truth of it. So, yeah, we have to absolutely get into the habit of being confident about talking about where we're making an impact and why that means that equates to the salary that we we believe is appropriate for us. 
Um, and, and it's not being apologetic about that. You know, it's nothing to be embarrassed about. It's about owning that and saying, this is the impact I'm making. You know, and if you want more of that, if you want more of those results from me, then you need to pay me properly for it. Exactly. Especially when people ask you to come back for everybody who does contract work out there, ask yes. for more when you go in because people see how good you are, right? Yes. Of course, we are the people who naturally just pour out, gave more, wanted to stay late and take care of things. And because you're at a certain caliber, if they're paying the same amount to someone else, guess what? Do you believe that you will give much better value patient care than someone else? And if that's yes, then you better ask for more because then mm. that truly means Think about like even just cars, right? Why people drive a Lamborghini versus a Honda, right? Like why do you even put yourself into that level, right? And because it's it's the status, is the tag of the money also shows quality, right? And, and if we can't even see ourselves into these type of branding, authority building and skills, you have the best CV out there, that's fine. But that emotional part that we mentioned earlier on how you present yourself, how you're building the mm. team, how you're supporting other people, that's a huge part of adding both the logical and the emotional side. Yes. At the end of the day, we're in the service industry. We deal with people every day, right? Their lives, their happiness, their ups and downs. And it's not just seeing someone as the trouble people or the trouble organization. It's how are we able to show our value that we're the person who are solving their big problems. Yes, of and it is about solving problems. You know, it's about saving money for the organization or making money for the organization or solving problems and, and you know, fast-tracking progress within the company, innovating. I mean, there's heaps of different ways in which, you know, that happens and that you kind of, a day-to-day -day having an impact on that. Exactly. So true. And there's lots of things we can talk about this. <laughs> and, and that's why Rebecca has a course. And for anybody, stay until the end so she can tell you the website where you can get a freebie on how do you ask for what you're worth. And uh, we all know we cannot be expert in everything. Uh, Rebecca is someone who can help us in our career growth, um, knowing how much we can actually earn. And I'm someone who's helping you guys on your mental fitness so you can get out of your own way to tap into the next level. And um, versus we all truly enjoy our family, our finances, our personal mission. There's so many things that we're taking care of in our own head. And then the more we reflect, the better we can achieve that because self-determination theory tells us we can be more persistent and resilient once we know ourselves better. So Rebecca, when you took that whole life wheel, what are some things that pop out in your mind? The wheel? Um, well, you know, I think the thing is, is like, I, you know, I'm a busy working mom. Like we were talking about before, I have two kids who are under nine and it's, it's intense because, you know, I have, um, I, I want to be very, very involved with my kids and what they're doing. So that's my choice. That's my decision. So I, you know, it's kind of a huge juggling act all the time. And I find that, yeah, my health kind of, um, doesn't get us enough attention, because, you know, you kind of spread so thin with everybody else's needs, but I do work on it. You know, it's something I'm conscious of. So I suppose that's the one that's the most challenging, more of the kind of physical health and well-being is my sort of challenge. 
everything else is kind of quite balanced, I think, in how I approach things. I sort of clock off when I want to clock off. You know, being kind of a business owner, you have that desperate desire to always be working because you're passionate about what you do. And there's always so much you need to be doing and can be doing. But I'm very good at clocking off. <laughs> and I'm very good at creating that, that sort of divide from work and my family. My family is so important to me. In today's episode, we discuss the top eight leadership tips that can help you to boost your value in the healthcare space, especially if you are someone who are doubting yourself and your ability, when you're not sure if you're being truthful to yourself, when you're feeling like you're not good enough or not measuring up. Likely, you stay tuned to this episode because you're looking for ways to increase your presence through leadership skills in the workplace. To recap, number one, be transparent about your leadership skill and build trust and credibility among your team. It is the first step in building a culture of collaboration, accountability, and trust. Number two, you need to know yourself well enough to be able to handle your job properly and effectively. If you don't know yourself well enough, then how on earth would you expect others to predict what you need and what your visions are? A leader needs to be able to have a clear understanding of his or her strengths and limitations in order to be able to effectively manage others. Number three, the way leaders communicate with their team members is very important because it will determine how effective they are in managing themselves and others in the long run. Leaders who are good at communication with people make it easier for their clinical staff to get things done because the clear expectations of what needs to be done in order for things to go smoothly for everyone involved. Number four, the most important thing that you can do to elevate your influence as a healthcare leader is to make decisions with your subordinary in mind. This is not only beneficial for your practice, but it also makes you more credible with your team and patients. Getting others' input is a great way to show that you are a participatory leader. You're not someone who only focuses on getting things done by yourself. You also care about the effectiveness of your whole team. Number five, collaboration is the key to succeed in business. It is the most direct way that can help you to get ahead of your competition. Attracting the right talent to your organization is also depending on proper collaboration. So you can create a team of people who each are highly skilled in their own area of expertise. Number six, if you want to scale your private practice, you have to know what are your worth first. The best way to find out your worth is by asking for a specific recognition and review. Identify the areas that you have been contributing to your organization, what values you've been adding, and presenting those creative ways that you've been able to engage with those patients to create long-term results. This way, you're showing why you should be around longer to be the one who's leading the organization. This is even more important if you own your own practice so people can really believe and trust in you to stick with you for the long haul. 
Number seven, as a healthcare leader, you should always be aware of your clinical true value on the marketplace. You might be the most valuable asset to your organization, but that doesn't mean you don't need to do your own research. This will help you understand how much money you should be earning for your services. Negotiate your executive salary versus how much you should be paying your own executive team. If you know what the market value is for the positions that you have, you would be more confident in asking for the right amount during a negotiation. Number eight. When you think about your career path and what you want from your healthcare business, you would typically think about bigger projects, larger responsibilities, higher revenue. Yet there are many things you do daily at work that do not get noticed or recognized as important by other people outside of your immediate team or organization. It's easy to get caught up in the bigger vision without rewarding yourself for all the steps. That you already have walked and achieved. I hope you liked today's episode. You're listening to me right now. Odds are you're frustrated by how healthcare practices are running today. I'm with you. I'm looking to change the conversation that we're having in the healthcare industry. It starts with me, and it starts with you. I want to connect with you and get to know your struggles and success within the healthcare industry. Visit sabrinarombag.com/connect, where you can send me a direct message. She really gets the conversation. She understands. She's an incredible listener. We were talking about worthiness, and she really understands the concept of it, how it affects people in their businesses, in their clinics, in in their daily life, in their relationships. So I just want to encourage you to one listen to our show, but to jump on board and start listening to this woman because she has so much insight and wisdom that you don't want to miss out. Take an opportunity to meet with and talk with Sabrina. She's just a wealth of information and powerful results. And it, it, for myself, just to be able to reflect and see what she's created by her forms and processes is amazing. I can't uh, emphasize enough. It's time well spent and uh, money well invested. And so take the time. Invest in yourself. My experience is really, really unique because I started with Sabrina when I was still finishing up chiropractic school, and、uh, have gone through it during my break, and I'm now a practicing doctor. So everything she's learned has been, or everything I've learned and she's taught has been applied at different levels and portions of my life, and I feel like I can continue to、uh, grow and develop these skills in the future. So I was able to do the one-on-ones as well as the group sessions with Sabrina, and both had some really impactful things to teach me. There were a lot of things in there. I look at the chart of the desire zone because I was taking on too many things. I was doing too many things outside of my desire zone, and that allowed me to hone things back into the direction where they should be. What were some other things? We our first call that we ever had. There was a quote that you made. You gave me from the Dalai Lama, and these are simple things. I did, but it was my gratitude, and it hit me at that time because. I'd forgotten to be grateful about what has been built. You know, everybody around me that sees what we're doing, or you know, sees what I'm doing here, my peers and colleagues, they're very grateful for what I've been doing. They're like, "This is great." You know, we'd love to be in the position I'm in, and I forget that, and I forgot it. 
go to sabrinarunback.com forward slash community to grab one of the 30 spots. See you soon.